This is going to be our first guest in three years. It's like I know, I know. We just I'm got excited. out of podcast prison. <laughs> <laughs> and this is our first encounter with a human being. I know, and he's a politician, or an aspiring politician. He's many things. That's why I want to talk to him. And and, and we can say he's a friend of the show, because he's been on before. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. It's our first repeat. Yeah. Wow. This is a, a lot of milestones. I know. Here. I know. Should we, should we, let's just get, let's not waste time. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, let's go. This is No Politics at the Dinner Table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Amit Prakash. And today we have a very special guest who's been on the show before. Um, and uh, we're really excited to have him back. Absolutely. What are we talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's not much to talk about. Um, yeah, so we're so psyched to have you back, first of all. Um, thank you for doing it. Yeah. Uh, so it's been four years since we talked to you. Last time you were running for the New York City Council, right? Yeah. Um, and before we get into it, I just want if you could just set up a little bit for our listeners you know, what's your political situation, what you're running for, what area does it cover, um, who actually lives there, you know, who would you be representing, and what's your competition? Um, definitely. So I'll give you a quick rundown on the race. Uh, so hi, hi, everybody. First of all, my name is Jabari Brisport. I'm from Brooklyn. I'm born in Bed-Stuy. grew up in Prospect Heights. I'm a public school teacher in Crown Heights. I love my students. I'm still teaching them um, in the midst of all this because it's important to me that, you know, they get a good education. Um, and I'm running for the state Senate in um, New York's 25th district. And for those who don't know, um, state Senate is not, um, that's not DC, that's, that's Albany. So there's 62 state senators. I'd be representing central and West Brooklyn. In central Brooklyn, that is Bed-Stuy, Fort Green, Clinton Hill, Prospect Heights, excuse me, Crown Heights. It's also uh, Borum Hill, Gowanus, Sunset Park, Red Hook, Slivers of Park Slope, and Slivers of Downtown Brooklyn. Um, not all those neighborhoods, but slivers of some of them and, you know, all of Bed-Stuy and, and a few others. But it's a big district. There's around 300,000 people that live there. It's the size of a small city because um, New York is really dense. And um, it's a heavily Democratic district. So this Democratic primary on the 23rd, that is the election. Whoever wins that will will win the general and go on to be the state senator. Right now, there is no incumbent. Um, the outgoing state senator is named Velma at Montgomery. She has been a powerhouse in the state legislature, really um powerful black woman who um, moved a lot of incredible progressive legislation for um she's been in the state senate longer than i've been alive um it's incredible but she's um she's out so it's an open seat now um, she's retiring and my competition are two other people one is a man named jason salmon who used to work for the state senator as her community liaison and another person is a woman named tremaine wright who is a sitting assemblywoman in um the western half of bed -Stuy. And we are down the wire. There are today is June sixth, and there are um, seventeen days until election wow. day. So we are. Wow. This is for those who have never been in a campaign before. This is the um, this is the final sprint. This is the part where you just run and you ignore the fact that you're tired or that anything else is going on, <clears throat> and you just run until you get to election day. Wow! Wow! That's crazy. Tony, go ahead. Um, well, that's super exciting. Um, you, you left out the part about if you're still vegan or not, because that was a big, uh, that was a big, um, you know, I had trouble last time. 
Yeah, I know you, tr you tried to give me pizza last time and I was, I was, I was making your, your hosting really hard. So um, I am still vegan. I actually have some oatmeal in front of me right now. <laughs> All right, we'll let, we'll let it slide. We'll let it Thank slide. Thank you. Um, before we get before we get into some specifics, let let's go more general. And you know, you seem to kind of be in in, in what what we think is kind of the future of the Democratic Party, which is kind of the new faces. Um, can you speak about what you think happened to the Bernie campaign? Um, you know, we, we we were kind of coming out of the gate. Um, looked like. Looked like for a second there, like, oh, my God, is, the, is everyone waking up? And then something happened in South Carolina and it just kind of went away overnight. Um, and, yeah. and how does and, and how do you with your campaign um, kind of learn from whatever mistakes, if any, we, we feel happened? One big mistake um, that got that had a terrible domino effect was like um, literally the endorsement of you know, Representative Clyburn. Uh, the statistics I saw were that a significant number of people in South Carolina voted um, based on his endorsement. And then, you know, I heard that it came down to, uh, you know, Joe Biden asked Clyburn for his endorsement and Bernie Sanders did not. And sometimes we forget that it's a matter of sometimes just asking people for their vote. You know, people are much less uh, stubborn and intransigent than the media might make them out to be like, oh, this is a this is an X type of voter. They will always vote a certain way. Some people just need to be asked for their vote. And it's a simple matter of you know, not being asked. So that was unfortunate because that triggered a whole thing in, in South Carolina. Um, and, you know, then there was the, the bloody Sunday, bloody Monday, where um, the moderates all started dropping out and consolidating around Joe Biden. And then, you know, Super Tuesday came and was pretty miserable. But that notion of just asking people for their vote, that's in our campaign, right? So we don't, we don't believe in saying that, oh, we're only going to reach out to the people that have voted in primaries before. You know, in local politics, you get these phrases such as like like prime voters and double prime voters, and that's short for a primary vote, a voter that shows up and votes in the primary, not the general, or a double prime. They vote. They voted in two primaries in the past, not the general. So those are the voters that are definitely going to vote. We're gonna we're just gonna target them and put all our resources on them. And you know, many people haven't been asked to vote in the primary. That's what it comes down to. You know, people have not been invited into our political process. So we've been reaching out to as many people as possible. You know, we've been reaching out in the community, um, faith leaders, and just, you know, sharing our message. Um, and I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about to go record a, a video for a, a church that is now doing um, a Zoom a Zoom uh, services. So I'm going to just have to say a quick hello video um, for them. And how has, um, you know, it, it's obvious, but I would love to hear you talk about how you know, you're, you're running for office and, and COVID happened and that, and you're a guy who, when you meet you in person, you're, you're going to get the vote, right? You're charming. You're, you, <laughs> you, 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 you don't sound like a politician, which I think a lot of people are looking for. Um, but that must, that must be difficult for you because you can't really get into people's houses. Yeah. You know, it really sucks. Um, cause that's my favorite part right. of the race, which is like going on meeting and I love knocking on doors and it's just like good exercise too. Because, you know, it's, it's hard to stay healthy during a campaign, um, but it's good exercise walking around and, and all the stairs and everything. And I'm going to be honest, like I really panicked in March when everything started shutting down. Um, one, because, you know, COVID was a, like a living nightmare. But two, I, I for a solid week or so, I thought the election was over and that there was no way we could win. I, I really thought that if we couldn't knock on doors, that that would be the end of the election. Um, that was it. You know, the Tremaine Wright is 
she's not an incumbent, but she's a sitting assemblywoman. So she has more name recognition than we did. And we can't knock on doors that, that, you know, that was it. But I have amazing team and extremely resilient volunteers. And we converted an, a massive, massive door knocking operation into a massive phone banking operation. Um, at this point, we've made, I want to say 100 to 150,000 phone calls. And we're trying to make 300,000 phone calls by by the election. Um, it's a huge it's a huge operation um, and it's all being done digitally, which is really incredible. Um, we were one of the first campaigns in our race to pivot and like, you know, others started trying to catch up with phone banking and everything. But like this is this is a new normal. I mean, it's, it's not it's not, I, I don't imagine this is what it's going to be like moving forward. Like you're not you can't recreate a face to face conversation like the phone calls just not the same. Um, it, it's nice to have to be able to have a face to you know a face to face. It's also nice to be able to have like literature you can put in somebody's hand. There's a physical exchange. That's all good. But the phone conversations will never um, will never emulate that. But what's great is that we're reaching out to people that have not been reached out to. Some people are just so thankful that we called and checked in on them. Um, some people just need help with groceries and medicine, and it's nice to check on um, and help and help out with that as well. So it's been nice to be able to reach out to the community right now at a time when people are just totally, totally isolated. So, okay, I, I want to take everything you said and bring it back to the sort of larger uh, question that we started with. And we certainly want to talk more about your campaign. Going back to the Bernie thing, and this is the thing where I think all, maybe all democratic socialists, um, which is, was the, the lack of asking Clyburn did you see that as a sort of a metaphor for the lack of outreach to black voters that yeah Bernie, I mean, Bernie campaign is as at least that's been the charge against the Bernie campaign um both in 2016 and 2020 so I'm wondering do you, do you see that as well or or is that is that not right I mean there's always the issue of more and more outreach like even when I was you know phone banking for Bernie in 2016 um you know, I was, I, I remember calling, I was phone banking into South Carolina in 2016, and I started to tell this um, woman, I, I remember she was an older black woman, you know, I called and I was telling her about Bernie Sanders, and her reaction was, Bernie Sanders, I don't even know who that is, you know, she was right. like, I saw some in the mail, he should have sent me money, I don't know who that is, and that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a mood, right, the I don't even know who that is, who is this person that has only shown up for the election, I have never heard them before, and, you know, I, I see all these think pieces and articles about, you know, this, um, Bernie needs to talk a different way about race or Bernie needs to, um, you know, change his messaging in this in this way. And, and sure, you know, that's always true. Everyone can be better speaking about race. But what it comes down to is like people need to be reached out to. You know what I mean? Like we need to be in these communities talking to them way before election time and, and you know, and communicating with them because it's funny. People talk about changing your messaging and like Biden is like literally <laughs> Biden supported segregationists, you know, and like <laughs> like and killed it in South Carolina. So it's not, it's, that to me says it's not about, you know, exactly what, what your message is, but do you have a relationship with those voters? Do they feel like they can trust you? Um, do they feel like they know you? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm baffled by everything that you're doing because you're a public school teacher. Uh, what do you teach? What's your subject? Oh my gosh. I guess, sorry. I teach middle school math. I teach sixth and seventh graders. Uh, okay. So it's like geometry or algebra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're doing that. Uh -huh. You're an actor, you're a political activist and you're a political candidate. So could you just like walk us through a day in your life? <laughs> you know, like, how do you, how are you doing all this? Uh, I'm, sorry, I'm not, I haven't acted in a, in a while. It's like, it's like, I hung that hat up a bit ago. 
but um my typical day is um you know i uh well now during COVID, i'm you know up around 7 7 30. i started teaching at eight um here and there i catch breaks to do campaign stuff so like my lunch break i'll do that's when i do my um my check-in calls with my my manager and, and deputy manager um about the about everything for the day um i find time in between classes if i can catch two or three minutes in between the end of one and start of the other i check emails respond to any texts that are coming in and then around 2 2 30 is when the, the school day ends for me so that's when i start going off into all the campaign stuff so if that, that maybe that's calls maybe it's fundraising calls maybe it is calls to um uh, voters, maybe it's calls to organizations to talk about either endorsements or what they need, if they need a push or amplification or anything. Um, we usually do a big phone bank every night, um, every weeknight and every every weekday afternoon. So I am usually, um, if I'm not on the phone bank, I'm definitely coming to say hi to everybody and thank them for volunteering their time during COVID, especially when it's really depressing outside um, to, to um, um, call for a political campaign. And then after um, after like 8.39, you know, once we're done with all that, I'm just uh, responding to emails, um, helping out with questionnaires with my team, um, contributing to any social media, or um, just lots of odds and ends. Um, tons, tons of odds and ends just come up. I, I don't know if I could <laughs> say them all right now, but stuff just like people hit me from all, I mean, I just, they hit me from about the campaign through my DMs, my, my text, the emails, the website. It's just, I'm just, I'm just like constantly keeping up with like all the places where requests and stuff come from. And now do you add to that attending protests? Yes. So yeah. protests are back on, right? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, how, how has that experience been? You know, so you're, you're living in New York, uh, a black man in New York and from Brooklyn. And then the police, I, I just think from my perspective, I'm, you know, remote from this right now. But it looks like the police are rioting in New York. That's that's what it looks like. And I, you, I, I would love to just hear on the ground what you think. Um, they're going absolutely crazy. I have seen, just I've heard so many stories, seen the videos of so many of my friends getting arrested, um, getting roughed up. I just, who there was um a friend of mine who worked in my last campaign that's now working for state senator julia salazar and i watched a video of him getting roughed up and arrested last night and i'm i'm so i'm i'm really livid about it um it just it's like non-stop it's every night it's every single night um that the police are doing this and it's absolutely out of control and the mayor is not reining them in and he's saying sometimes he doesn't even see the violence and it's just a lie and it's it's frustrating the crap out of me um and i'm, I'm mad too at the stupid curfew at the governor because you know of two months ago when people were saying we need to shelter in place we need to socially distance we need to get people in their homes his line was like oh i would never tell people to go in their homes i would never scare people like that and then like like literally two days into people protesting for black lives there's a there's a, there's a curfew right. and we're getting amber alerts like as soon as you know people start you know protesting for a social justice cause we are getting all these alerts to stay in our homes don't go outside this and that people are getting roughed up for being outside protesting for people's for, uh, for the dignity of black lives that's 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 bullshit to me yeah you saw you COVID was this really interesting thing because it gave politicians this opportunity to like step up and <laughs> cuomo was really interesting because i'm and i are not cuomo fans but <laughs> yeah. when when yeah. when this first happened because because our president is so incompetent 
Mm-hmm. Cuomo and Cuomo is the governor of New York, and De Blasio is just a—he's just a joke. I mean, he is—he he never had control of the city. It's—it's it's mm-hmm. hilarious. So Cuomo, for like, I, I had this like weird moment where I got Stockholm syndrome. I'm like, wow, Cuomo's like really doing great. He's like <laughs> you and you everybody know, else. Yeah, he's talking. <laughs> you know, he's—he's—he's he's, he's not sounding like a politician. Like he's kind of comforting, um, and and I like I got like like the way vampires can like, you know, glam <laughs> people or whatever they call it. Yeah. And, and that happened to me. And I'm like, wow, Cuomo, they need to, we need to get Cuomo out there and, and challenge Trump. And then, right. then Cold Cuomo, president. then Cuomo <laughs> revealed his Cuomo face, which right. was, then he starts talking about why do we have school buildings? Yeah. Why do we right. have school? Why do we have public school buildings? Oh my and, God. And yeah. then as soon as this, as soon as this, these protests started, he's just, he's just the same old, uh, old guard and, and he's terrible. And, you know, I'm in New Orleans now. I moved. I'm and I both left the city. I'm in Vermont, and I'm in New Orleans. And yeah. and and New Orleans has their fair share of police issues down here. I mean, a man in Jefferson was just shot to death a week ago. Oh, um, and and his camera's missing. And apparently, he had a gun, but no one knows where the gun is. And you know, it's it's the same old story. Um, but they haven't, you know. For the most part, the the police. <laughs> this is how crazy this sounds. The police, the police have been pretty good. They only tear gas the people once down here. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> but part of it is that police in police in New Orleans are just used to big crowds, so they are right. they don't panic when they see the big crowd. Um, mm-hmm. and there and and there hasn't been any um, oddly there hasn't been any looting or any any you know busting building. None of that's been happening here, but um, you do see. If if the police and and the local officials just listen, if they just t- t- take the take the take take the, uh, the the military gear off for a second and just be human, mm-hmm. there's not a video you'll show me where a cop doesn't acknowledge the people, where the people stop mm-hmm. shouting and they 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 break down because they just want to know that the cops hear them, that they see them, and yeah. it is so difficult for yeah. this police union and these cops to just admit. That one bad cop equals a dead person. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not on the same playing field as other bad. You know, uh, other other um, uh, uh, places of work where somebody's bad at their job. This is this is serious. You can't be bad. Mm-hmm. You can't be bad. And it's also like I don't know why they get that standard. Like I'm a teacher. Like if one teacher like hit a student, like I, he they'd be out. Oh, and down and arrested. Not, not and like the teachers union would not rally behind them the way the police no. union gets behind you know murderous police officers. We would not. We'd be like, no, you hit a student, you're 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 done. But you know, for some reason, they all rally around like, oh no no no, it was this, it was that. They got to come to the defense. You know, there's there's a war on police officers. You know, it's 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 ridiculous. The police, I think, is the worst representation of the coercive violence of the state that presents itself as righteous. You know, so whatever they do is is right. You know that that you know if they're res- respond. So for the New Orleans thing, so weirdly enough, I don't know how this happened, but both my brother in law and my brother now live in New Orleans, and so I was talking to my brother the other day, and he was he went to two protests. One night, the cops they let him walk on the interstate, and they knelt with them, and they gave him a megaphone, and they said, you know, you guys can talk. The very next night. The same protesters, the same cops, they come and shoot rubber bullets and tear gas at them. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's arbitrary violence that's supposed to be always sort of looming, I think. Right. So the whole thing about, you know, one bad cop. I don't know. I'm, I, I, I think the whole institution is yeah. an ugly one. 
Um, and whenever I say something like this, like people like laugh it out of the room, like you should abolish the police. And there's no reason for the, po the police is not there to protect us. Mm -hmm. The police no, no, is there no. to protect property. Mm -hmm. That's, mm -hmm. that's what they're there for. Right? I have they're no doubt in my mind. And I mean, and I will never take the statement back. If you told those cops, you can shoot all these protesters, kill them all and get away with it. They would do it. Yeah. You can see the hatred. I mean, there, did you see the video, Jabari, of the 75-year-old the old white man that the police in Buffalo pushed down, mm -hmm. his head split open, they just walked yes. over him? Yes. I mean, this is, this is now, if you, if you are a white person defending black lives, you are now, in the officer's eyes, one of them. You mm -hmm. are against the cops. It's not, and 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 that's the problem when you have a president that that obviously puts as much wood on this fire as possible. Oh my god! And, and you have, you know, billions of dollars going to these police forces. Why do they need tanks? Why do why do cop? We have the most powerful Thanks. military in the history yeah. of the world. Mm -hmm. We could have beat. We could have taken Rome down. And, and, and our, and our local police need armor, armored vehicles that yep, what, what, right. were we invaded at some point, um, as, a, huh. as, a, as Amer when we, after we became America, were, were we invaded by, you know, every 10 years, like where we all need to be armed up and we need tanks. No, that's what the military does. When you need tanks, you call the military, you need mm -hmm. to get all of these weapons, all these little fucking mm -hmm. toys out of these cops hands. Yeah. They get their pistol, they get their mace <laughs> and mm -hmm. their cups and, and, and knock it off. Get rid of the helmets, all that stuff. It's ridiculous. The British cops don't even have pistols, right? No, um, they have, you know, they have yeah. little, little, little sticks. I always, I always notice that whenever you watch a British cop show, they'll say armed police came, right? They won't just say the police because yeah, like, the regular like police don't have arms, right? They don't, they don't have weapons. Mm -hmm. So as a policy position, Jabari, you know, so what do you think about the police as an institution? What, what are they good for? <laughs> oh my God, is that a trick question? What are they good for? Um, no, you know, I support, there's a huge call um, in New York and I think nationwide now to start defunding police departments. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like you said, they have all these toys and if they have these toys, they're gonna use them, right? Yeah. Um, I've heard so many helicopters. I think I might, I think I might even hear one now. I heard so many helicopters um, this past week. It's just, it's, it's insane. Um, you know, they are over-militarized. They have too much um, money. And, um, you know, they're, they're just so, the propensity for violence is right there. So I know New York, we're like pushing pressure on the city council now to defund by a, a billion dollars. They have a, like a budget of around six billion. Because oh um, <laughs> it, it is a military, it's a standing military. So defunding them, opening up their records, putting something called 50A. There's something called the Stat At um, in New York, which would... Um, force them to release data on like the races and like the demographics of where they're making stops and arrests and all that. Um, just to, you know, really reveal their racism. And I'm, um, you know, I am, I am a police and prison abolitionist. So it's about like working to a place where we don't even need cops in our communities whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it it's one of those things where as a politician, I, I, I'm, I, and I'm, I'm really happy to hear you say that, but I, I I'm, a, I'm sure as a, as a, someone running for office this is you know historically going against the cops or going against major influence and money that could hurt you but i think this is the moment where 
we can no longer vote for people if they don't have a police reform uh, platform. If they don't yeah. have some sort of police reform and they're not willing to address the problems, we, we cannot vote for them anymore. I mean, I think that mm -hmm. needs to be, you know, it, right up there with healthcare and education. I mean, I yeah. think those three things, if you don't have three pretty clear plans on how you're going to um, bring major reform, mm -hmm. I, I just don't think he could be considered anymore. Yeah. And there's been a great um, sea change like in the past week or two in, in, in New York politics of politicians like returning uh, cop money or any money from like wow. people you know, affiliated with law enforcement because you know, people started getting called out. You know, it used to be, you know, in New York, it was like, you know, in the past few years, like housing money. If you have money from the housing lobby, that, that's, you know, that's that's something corrosive and people were rejecting that. But now it's like also cop money. And I'm really happy to see that. Yeah. I mean, I, what would be great is if we could get to a place where it goes beyond that and, mm -hmm. and it's actually, you know, every, every major company with affirmative action laws, you need to be very aware of who you're hiring. I guarantee mm -hmm. you, if you look at any graduating class at any police academy, the ratio of white to any other skin tone is going to be laughable. Um, so that's yeah. a huge problem. And two, how do you only got to go to school for eight months to be a cop? I know, right? What I mean, hold a gun and I mean, street. I mean, lawyers go to school for four years to just mm -hmm. argue the law. Cops yeah. go to school for eight months to enforce the law. I mean, there's a problem there, and that's attracting a specific type of person. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't know a whole lot of people when I was growing up that their dream in life was to become a cop. Yeah, mm -hmm. I can't name one. So let's not pretend this is like the doctors and the lawyers and the pro athletes and, and mm. things kids dream of. This is a job some most people fall into. Mm. Um, it's, it's not a sexy job. And then what happens with that is you attract a specific type of person and, and we can all just assume whatever we want of, of what that description is. But mm -hmm. it's, it's just watch the videos. There's, there's, yeah. a, there's a common uh, uniform that goes beyond the actual physical uniform with all of these cops that are, are killing people. They all I, look the same. I think there is one thing to think about with the, well, how the police culture kind of perpetuates itself. So one thing, yeah, eight months. The, the reason same. why it's only eight months is because basically they're muscle. Right. That's mm -hmm. that's what they are. They're that's the muscle. They're the muscle of the state. They're like the sword of the state. That's that's what they do. Um, they're they do violence work like that's literally their job is 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 to do violence or have the threat of violence. So you you follow what they say, where as they are, as they happen to interpret the law, the, the law on the street. Um, so it's like pretty arbitrary. Right. Like mm -hmm. that's where there's like the huge chasm between, OK, people who are making the laws. But these guys are actually doing the law right mm -hmm. that they, they 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 the administrative element is, is is key here but in terms of the reproduction of the cop culture yes i think you know there there might be some you know people maybe like okay it's they got a powerful union good benefits i can retire at 40 and yep. you know get paid for the rest of my life all that but also it is a generational thing right there's a mm -hmm. lot of you know cops who are sons of cops um and and that's how there's a certain sort of cultural element about the sort of embrace of roughing up people, mm -hmm. uh, hyper masculinity, all that kind of stuff uh, that is culturally inherited. Let me 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 say that, you know, um, I have a question for you about running as a democratic socialist. Is it hard? 
Or has Bernie made that easier? <laughs> yeah, because essentially you're running against the Republicans and the Democratic Party. <laughs> Bernie's definitely made it easier, right? Like so many, you know, I don't know if there would be the amount of enthusiasm and excitement for a Democratic Socialist candidate um, in 2020 had Bernie not had Bernie not run his two presidential campaigns. He definitely like he definitely moved the realm of what is possible. Um, and it's funny because like. You know, my sister gets on me. People, some, um, sometimes, you know, uh, you know, some of her friends get on me like, "You can't run as a socialist. That's going to turn off so many people." And it's not just about me. It's like, um, well, one, it's it's not turning off people. Like, literally, literally nobody, nobody is, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody has said to me okay. they're not looking for a socialist. But two, it's like you got to think about the next generation, right? Like, it's not just about me. It's about who's going to run for office after me, and and it's about like, it's about thinking that. When you run as a socialist or a democratic socialist, you know, you are opening up possibilities for others to run on that same message, too. And that's so beautiful about what Bernie did is that, like, Bernie was so repetitive, right? People get on that, like, Bernie is, you know, his, his um, detractors are like, Bernie is always saying the same thing, top 1%, is healthcare, this, <laughs> but, like, I think Bernie understands that it's not just about him, right? He was educating a movement to go off and run on that message too, you know? And I, and I saw that cause I'm a teacher. So I repeat myself a lot. Cause that's how, I know that's how, you know, my students learn. It's like, you've got to say it over and over again for them to really get it. And um, I even see in New York too, like, you know, the fact that we have democratic socialists running, um, it is open to possibilities. And we actually see that even in the, the number of people running, right? So like, you know, I, you know, I, I did my race along with another democratic socialist for city council a couple of years ago. Um, then Julia Salazar got elected as state senator. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez got elected as a, a Democratic Socialist um, Congress um, woman. Um, Tiffany Caban expanded even more. And now, you know, we have a slate of Democratic Socialists running for state legislature. We have five, we have five people, um, and, and well, and including Julia, six really, that are running to be, um, you know, in the state legislature as open Democratic Socialists. Wow. And you just imagine what it's going to be next year for city council, and then in 2022. When this stuff comes up again, like each each one of us, if we believe in this, each one of us has to think of it as expanding what is possible for the people that come after us. Wow, I mean, one six people in a sixty-two person. I mean, that's a one tenth. Right. You know, I mean, that's pretty okay. amazing. Okay. Oh, I, I, wish, I wish you could caucus. No. You could have a democratic socialist caucus. We will. We will. <laughs> it's state, it's state senate and state assembly. So not as we will have ten percent one day, but for yeah. now it would just it would be two senators. Okay. And the state okay. Senate, and then I'll well, well the you guys are assembly. you guys are way cooler than the. the I know. Be. I mean, it's, it's a, like I'm. I want to be in that clique for sure. If this is if this is high school. All right. So I know you got to go on to your next thing, and you got a big day ahead of you. Um, I just wanted to put in a plug. Yeah. So Jabari is a poly prep grad and I, I used to teach at poly prep and there are poly alums that listen to this show. So I want to put out the word to, you know, all you blue and gray people, that network to, to go and donate. So Jabari, where, where should they go to make donations? My website is Jabari for state senate.com. Okay. Okay. Go there. And most importantly, show up on June 23rd, right? That uh, yes. to vote for this man. Well, we should let Jabari stick around. For, we, we have we have a couple minutes left, and Amit and I do a little segment at the end called uh, "Party Party Favors." Oh, right. Where right. where we give where we give both we reluctantly give the the Republicans a suggestion, and we do it as same for the Democrats. So let's do that real quick and let him stick around. He can just listen. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited.
So let's start with Republicans. And Ahmet, you go first. Oh, man. So let's just say we hate doing this with the Republicans because we don't want to give them nothing. We just want to torpedo them and undermine everything that they're about. But um, what if they were actually politically savvy right now, they as the the Senate would run away from Trump at this point. He is sinking and, you know, the Tom Cottons of the world are trying to sort of come out and uh, pick up his flag. Um, But the Republican establishment could probably even salvage this (laughs) catastrophe. That's this unfolding catastrophe of the past few months. Um, That is the Trump administration by, by, by pivoting away from it, while also still maintaining their, you know, horrible, ghoulish views. Um, I think I think I think that's that's possible. That's what I would say. What about you, Tony? Okay, I I agree with you. um, But I think right now is the exact moment where here's my here's my party favor for the Republican Party. You have to pick a side right now. You cannot sit quiet. You're either joining Trump and you're going to spread his hateful, disgusting message, and, and you're going to be the cello player on the Titanic, and you're either going down with the ship or you're jumping off right now. So my advice is be vocal one way or the other. Either jump with him and, and show your face for what it is and, and stand with racism and stand with, all, stand with cops and do everything that we're fighting against and, and, and triple down on it. And I think what Trump's doing is what he has to do. Uh, he, he, he knows it's, it's coming to an end. And I think you're going to start seeing lots of pardons, lots of people getting out of prison and, um, he's going to triple down on it. And, and that would go to my last week's favor, which is who is a Republican that's going to establish themselves as the Bernie of the Republican party and just say, guys, this is, that was fucking weird. This last three years was weird. <laughs> Let's, uh, you know, I, I'm taking a torch. Fuck this guy. He's ruining our party. Join me. And I think it would work. Okay. Now, okay. here we go. Party Dems. favor, Dems. You want me to go first? You go first. I'm going to st- keep doing this until they listen to our podcast. <laughs> Who <laughs> the fuck is our vice president? Where is our woman of color? Where is the woman of color who is going to lead this movement? Because Biden is 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 like weekend at Bernie's. He's he's not alive. We know that. We need a black woman to step up and take on these pieces of shit. And I have no idea why we're waiting. We need a voice. Biden is not present right now. He is not present. I don't see anything with him in it because quite frankly, I think that's a, it would be bad for him to be present. As we said earlier, he, he supported uh, segre- segregation years ago. So we need a woman of color. This is just really simple. Like, like what are we doing? Why have we not rallied around our vice president. We're really, we're really putting up a vice president against Trump this year. Let's be real. So this is going to be the most important vice president in the history of, of America. Except for Dick Cheney. Um, so, well, we didn't I, know that at the time. <laughs> in our defense. We, I think we all knew Darth Vader was, was in the second chair. I was uh, too young. Yeah. <laughs> you're, um, you're a little older. So I, I would say that is a little bit more narrow, but I, it infuriated me. People need to attack Rand Paul right now. Uh, yes. So, so there is the anti-lynching bill that has been 
trotted out for decades at this point. And finally, uh, there's been a coalition both in the House. I think the House vote was like 400 to, you know, like four people were against or something like that. And 99 to one in the Senate. And the person who's holding it up is Rand Paul. Wow. Because he thinks it's overly broad and that (laughs) uh, unless you meet the bar of actually doing something so horrible like what would happen to Emmett Till, which the bill is named after, it shouldn't count. Mm -hmm. So if if the bar is so high, basically then nothing counts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So this guy, he's, he's doing this. I think he, I mean, he, this is basically a way to, uh, this is, and, and there's a lot of people who are really good at this as being racist without using the language of race, you know, and, and that's, I, I want him to be focused on and I want uh, flamethrowers on this guy. Uh, and he just needs to get knocked out because it's at this point, at this political moment, in this moment of reckoning that we're having, uh, that we're having, you're doing that. Forget it. He needs yeah. to. Yeah. And, 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 and the larger, the larger thing here, my last part in comment is for every politician, this is including you, Jabari. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, and you're good at this, but think before you answer questions, think before you make a comment, <laughs> you know, we are at a time right now where we are angry and the only thing we could do is cancel people. And even though I, I don't believe in Dave Chappelle or any of these comedians or people being canceled for, for what they do, uh, there are certain people that need to get canceled and mm-hmm. you know, Drew Brees down here in New Orleans is a good dude, but <laughs> shut your mouth. Like we don't need to be hearing from you right now. Just shut your mouth. And if you get answered, asked a question like that, I think your response should be, it's not time for me to talk. I think we need to listen to the people who are in charge of this movement. And that would be my advice for uh, let's say all, all, all white politicians right now. Hmm. But thanks for joining us, man. We 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 are we are big fans of yours. We've we've been uh, monitoring your your political career, and and we really really hope you win. I mean, you would be a a, a breath of fresh air in that city that Ama and I ran from. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, come back to vote. Don't forget. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll spread the word, man. But but good Thank luck and, and keep us posted. And and when you win, we'll have you back on. Thank you so much. Appreciate you.